the farming program with our equipped steel stockholders with Embrook Industrial Estate Gransom. For all your steel needs, call their friendly experts. This week on the farming program, we'll talk wine and lamb, which go together perfectly with Love Lamb Week coming up. This year, the campaign is focusing on shepherds and their pies. So shepherd's pie is on the menu. We revisit an organic farm we last spoke to a couple of years ago. We do what we believe in because we feel we can make positive change happen through the way we're farming and we're using the farm as a platform to be able to demonstrate that. And welcome back our crop doctor Sean Sparling back in the fields with a crop and harvest update and some timely agronomy advice. Plus the markets and the weather for the week ahead. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Hello, hope it's been a good week for you. In the news this week, the application window for 2024 countryside stewardship mid-tier agreements has been extended until the 15th of September following feedback from farmers. DEFRA has confirmed that the scheme will be extended to allow more time to submit applications online. The department said there have been some technical issues experienced by a small number of farmers when submitting their applications, which have now been resolved. Further improvements to the online system are already in train, including greater flexibility over when farmers can apply and how they manage their agreements, so said DEFRA. There's 32,000 agreements already in place across England for 2023, a 94% increase in uptake since 2020, including nearly 26,000 mid-tier agreements. The announcement follows previous improvements and evolutions to countryside stewardship following farmer feedback, and these include an average increase of 10% for revenue payment rates and 48% for capital payment rates, as announced in January. The Wildlife Trust has unveiled a new £6 million ecological restoration fund to support rewilding projects across the UK. The programme, Transforming Nature's Recovery, aims to boost UK nature and help reverse catastrophic declines in wildlife. Figures show more than 40% of species in the UK are in decline and over 15% are threatened with extinction. The charity said rivers are, quote, dying from agricultural, their words not mine, and sewage pollution and many people suffer from a lack of access to nature. Funding will contribute towards applications and release programmes of free living beavers to restore wetlands and low-level grazing alongside Exmoor ponies, Welsh blacks and Highland cows. The programme will also seek to create bigger and more connected wild areas to allow natural processes to help restore nature's abundance, resilience and diversity. The programme is designed to help the UK achieve its existing target of protecting at least 30% of land and sea by 2030 and reducing net zero carbon emissions by 2050. With the potential for higher risk of barley yellow dwarf virus, BYDV, infection this autumn, managing the Green Bridge is more important than ever, warned crop specialist. The Green Bridge refers to the potential reservoir of aphids that have survived either on volunteer cereals or adjacent host crops, which can infect the newly emerging cereal crop. The earlier the infection occurs, the more damaging the virus can be at impacting yield to the newly emerged crop. BYDV infection can arise from two potential sources, directly from wingless aphids walking from infected plants in the same field or adjacent areas to the current crop from volunteers harbouring aphids, or indirectly where winged aphids migrate into the newly emerged crops from further afield. 
Aphid vectors, especially bird cherry oat aphids, are being caught in suction traps now, so any green stubbles will be attractive to the aphids, increasing the risk of transfer, said Hutchinson's technical manager Neil Watson. There are several reasons for this elevated risk from Greenbridge this autumn, according to the crop production specialists. There's the potential reservoir of late BYDV infections in winter rather than spring cereals this season, which is the exact opposite of this time last year. Bushel weights are not as high as normal, leading to a greater potential of seed going out the back of the combine, ultimately leading to more volunteers, and the moist soil conditions are ensuring a rapid emergence of these volunteers. Mr Watson added, also, as more growers move to minimal cultivations or direct drilling, this will increase the risk of direct transfer. The increased use of cover crops and environmental headlands can also act as a potential reservoir. And finally, the weather has a role to play. Warm conditions will increase the build-up of aphids, which is currently ahead of normal. So how do you manage the green bridge? Mr Watson said it's key that there is sufficient time between killing the volunteers through desiccation or cultivations and drilling the next crop. As the volunteers start to die back and they turn yellow, they could present a greater risk of attracting aphids than would normally be the case. If large numbers of aphids are present on volunteers or weeds which are cultivated during seedbed preparation, they can feed on new crop roots and transmit virus directly without appearing above ground level to provide a control opportunity. This can be a problem in grassland, which has been turned over green. Warm, moist soil conditions facilitate aphid movement through soil. Therefore, it's important to monitor the flight of aphids into the newly emerged crops by using sticky traps in the newly emerging crops. Place the traps downwind of the potential source of the flight into the crop in a sheltered area, positioning them five metres in from the headland at ground level. And I'm sure our crop doctor, Sean Sparling, will be keeping an eye on this in the weeks to come on the farming programme. The finalists have been announced for this year's British Farming Awards, including four from Lincolnshire. Agritech Innovator of the Year, Thorvald Saga Robotics. Cramp Arable Farmer of the Year, Colin Chapel at Chapel Farms. Ecosil Digital Innovator, Tom Wave of Just Talk Agriculture. And Goodyear Family Farming Business, The Billings Family from Manby Grange. Well done and fingers crossed for you all. The awards take place on the 19th of October in Birmingham and we'll talk to the winners and get their stories then. Amongst all the reports of very mixed results from this year's harvest, there's some good news from the vineyards. A healthy-looking crop. Bill Hobson owns Lincolnshire's Summerby Vineyards. Is it looking good for you, Bill? It's looking good at Summerby, although we're always several weeks behind the south coast because of the change in temperatures. We never pick before the first week of October. So we, we've still got um, a fair way to go yet, about another six or seven weeks. But we've got plenty of bunches there. Uh, they are going to be very, very good if we get some heat and some sunshine because we must get them ripened off to get the sugar content right. So the weather's been good in terms of growing the bunches with the wet weather, but now you need some sunshine and heat. Absolutely, to get them ripe. Uh, if we don't get them ripe, uh, we don't have the right alcohol content in the berries, and therefore we're going to make not a very nice wine. And we, if we've never added sugar to wine, although you are allowed to do that, we do everything absolutely naturally. So we're keeping our fingers crossed now for the next six weeks, we're going to have some sunshine. Is, is it Lincolnshire that's good for wine, or just your part of Lincolnshire? 
we're on the wells, of course, being up in the sort of the northwest side of it. And I think if you get an escarpment and on a hill, we've got similar soil to what they have in Empenay, where they grow the grape Pinot Noir for the Champagne. And we've got the same here. We've got chalk and we've got uh, Kimmeridge clay. So we've got ideal conditions for growing that type of grape. And of course, that's the way the industry is going now into the bubbly market. I'm still rocking my brains. For the English champagne, which we can't call champagne, we need a name. I mean, if any of your people who listen to your program can think of a name for English sparkling wine, we need one. There's a challenge because you're right. Things like Carver, Prosecco and, of course, champagne are so popular that it would be nice to be able to capitalise on that with a nice snappy title. So if you've got a suggestion, drop me an email, farming at linksfm.co.uk. Bill Hobson from Summerby Vineyards in Lincolnshire. Thanks again, and we'll get another update when you start picking in a few weeks' time. It's a pleasure. Nice glass of wine for Sunday lunch. Sound good? Maybe add roast lamb this week. Well, it is Love Lamb Week, and to tell us a bit about this year's campaign, farmer and food producer Millie Fife. Yeah, it's run between the 1st and the 7th of September. It's basically highlight the nutritious lamb that we grow here in the UK. We've got a fantastic climate in terms of being able to grow grass and sustain lambs and it's one of those meats that perhaps people don't necessarily have that often but actually a versatile product and and this year the campaign is focusing on shepherds and their pies. So shepherd's pie is on the menu and I have produced a lovely, lovely video preparing my own take on shepherd's pie. So you'll see that across my social media at Millie Fife um, and on the Love Lamb uh, social media handles as well. Uh, just sort of showing how easy it is to produce um, a shepherd's pie, which will feed feed the family and you'll probably have some leftovers for the next day too. Um, and uh, trying to get lots of hidden veggies in there as well. So getting lots of nutrition into that as well so that the kids eat it. So, yeah, it, it's something that I enjoy getting involved with. And, um, yeah, check out um, the local supermarkets and in butchers for uh, point of sale information or head to the Love Lamb website where there are obviously recipe ideas and inspiration in terms of what you can do with lamb. I had a rather good lamb chow phrasey last night, just to get in the mood for the ninth Love Lamb Week, which starts on Friday, the 1st of September. Get involved and let's spread the word about our wonderful British lamb to as wide an audience as possible. There's all you need to know and how to get involved at ahdb.org.uk. Well, we've missed him. Back from a summer recharge of the batteries, our crop doctor, independent agronomist Sean Sparling, takes a look at the crops, the harvest, and as we move towards the new season, some timely agronomy advice. Good morning and welcome back. And I hope you had a great holiday, Sean. Yes, good morning to you, Steve. Yeah, fully refreshed, full of vim and vigour, revitalised, champing at the bit, raring to go for Harvest 2024. To be fair, I'm still actually champing at the bit, raring to go for some of Harvest 2023. There's still plenty of wheat and spring beans out there, as well as some of these more backward, later drilled pieces of spring barley still to be safely gathered in. Mother Nature has really disrupted the whole of this growing season since last October, really, in pretty much every aspect. So it shouldn't be any surprise to any of us that she's still doing it now and 
it comes to trying to harvest the stuff. Been an incredibly complicated season of weather, and although it's not as bad as it could have been, yields are all over the place, if we're going to be honest about it. But as in any harvest, do try and shy away from those ridiculous people who quote their farm averages of wheat and rape or barley, peas, beans, etc. as being where the combine yield monitor peaked at five and a half tonnes to the acre in one corner of one field. So unless you know that it's actually been sold or it's been put over a weighbridge and weighed that way, just take these yields with a pinch of salt. It's always the same people out there that do it to us every year, so just give them a wide berth and call them for what they are. Because from what I'm picking up, the yields are incredibly variable out there. It does depend on a lot of things, the variety, the drilling date, and most importantly, it looks like this year, the soil type. Soil type especially, with the stonier, more shallow soils faring least well, thanks to the weather this spring. We had about nine inches of rain, remember, from the 1st of March to the 13th of May. That jiggered the drilling and compromised the fungicide timing. The fact that no rain at all fell from the 13th of May to the 19th of June, when we were so desperate for it, and then just 15 millimetres fell between the 19th of June and the 3rd of July. And we had little or no sunshine to finish these crops at the end, which meant that they died on their feet rather than ripened, which is why we've seen the hagbirds collapse in the wheat. Add to all of that that it was nothing but hot and windy all the way through it's been perfect conditions for something but not for high yielding high quality crops in fact i could sum up this season in 25 words when it needed to be dry it was wet when it needed to be wet it was dry when we needed sunshine it was cloudy still a bit of late drilled spring barley then to get still a fair bit of wheat to harvest out there more flat stuff in the fields than we're used to seeing as well but it really had the potential to be an awful lot worse than it is so we just need to be thankful that we got what we got and we start again looking forward to harvest next year there's a bit of kind weather left in the forecast too so we should soon have harvest 2023 mopped up mind you what you yield isn't necessarily the important thing it's all about how well you sell it so wheat yields and quality then all over the place with anywhere from three to five tons to the acre and either side of that as well the heavier more bodied wheat land faring best winter barley is just as usual sitting around 3.3 3.5 tons to the acre with half a ton either side of that spring barley is again on the heavier soils and the less stony soils sitting around 3.25 to 3.5 tons a ton lower on the brushy stony stuff and because of the weather far too many ears on the floor at harvest rather than being taken into the shed winter beans all combined on my side they haven't done very well in general wet when they started moving meant that we had incredibly high disease levels early on and we ended up with seven foot tall plants with half a dozen pods on them so where we'd normally expect to see two ton to the acre of winter beans we're doing well to get 1.25 1.3 but with plenty worse than that. Spring beans still out there waiting to be cut for me. Peas with three peas to a pod and bone dry at Pondville when it needed to be wet meant that they're going to do well to average much more than a ton to the acre on the lighter stonier stuff, about a ton and a quarter on the better land. Mind you, the sugar beet does love a wet time, so the roots are pretty big already. Any fungicides, by the way, which have been applied, say, three weeks ago, they've dried out the rust very nicely and they're holding on to the Socospora. Not a lot of powdery mildew out there for me, but plenty of magnesium, sulfur, manganese deficiencies showing up as well as ramillaria and alternaria. But do also bear in mind that if you're going to put a second or indeed a third fungicide on, you've got to be sure that you're going to get the money back from that. Check the harvest intervals and do the sums on when it's going to be lifted, etc. But as I said, at least this rain really has started 
to fill those sugar beet roots and they are bulky and when it comes to water sugar beet needs an awful lot of water so every cloud has a silver lining I suppose. A lot of rape in the ground already then, plenty already up, plenty of cabbage stem flea beetle activity too unfortunately. No surprise really when you consider the numbers of beetles in the fields this year at harvest but if you remember back to the last really bad year for cabbage stem flea beetles, September 2018, they didn't really start to do significant damage much before around the 5th or the 6th of September when they absolutely exploded. So there's plenty of time for the cabbage stem flea beetle to cause us problems. Yet, as we know, if you're going to grow rape, you need to get it in the ground and get it up and away. You've got soil temperatures in excess of 17 at the moment. You've got soil moisture. Of that, there's no doubt. So everything's in favour of all seed rape getting up and running and away and a vigorous competitive growing crop is the best way of tackling cabbage stem flea beetle. Yes, you can put in your companion crops and you can apply your filthy stinking manures and leave your long stubbles, etc. All of those things are going to help, but unless you've got a competitive vigorous crop, then none of those things have any purpose. So get the crop in the ground in the next seven to ten days at the latest and get it in and up and away. You might now, of course, be better to use a hybrid as we move forward because of the day length starting to shorten and the temperatures are going to drop that's when we start to lose the battle and the crop starts to grow more slowly than the beetles can damage it. And remember, your technical threshold is when 25% of the leaf area is being affected. At present, I'm seeing a lot of shot holing damage out there, but what's the best thing to do? The best thing to do, I think, is to manage your expectations when it comes to the control that you're likely to get from any pyrethroids. Most of the cabbage stem flea beetle population is resistant now, so that's why you need a vigorous crop, and that's why you should only treat when those adults are actually there and causing significant damage. And experience shows that that's likely to mean spraying after dark. You have to physically hit these adults to stand any chance of success anyway. Interestingly for me, actually, as an aside, some of my best yields of rape this year with the fewest cabbage stem flea beetle issues actually came from several fields which got no insecticide whatsoever last autumn despite plenty of shot holing so riddle me that one it's all about how much luck you have on your side when it comes to controlling cabbage stem flea beetle so are you feeling lucky punk well are you let's see what the next seven days bring so much information and detail every week from Sean. If you missed a bit, don't forget you can listen again to Sean's report or pause and rewind on the online podcast version of the programme. We're catching up with an organic farm we last visited a couple of years ago, plus a look at the grain and livestock markets and the week's weather next. The Farming Programme with our equipped steel stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate Grantham, supplying the region for over 40 years. A couple of years ago, I visited Wickton Farm in Herefordshire, an organic dairy farm run by Claire and Daniel Howlett. They went organic in 1999 and been doing so rather successfully ever since. Time for an update. Hello, Claire. Has it really been two years? I thought it was. Yeah, I had a look as well just to see. And I think it was, yeah, it was about 2021, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's just scary how the time goes. Let's have a quick update. What's happened at uh, Wickton Farm since I saw you? Quite a lot has actually changed. We're now 100% grass-fed, so that's interesting, and obviously quite different, relying on the weather now, making sure we've got enough grass. Also, we're keeping all the calves with the cows now, so we run a calf-at-foot system, and uh, we're selling our milk direct to the consumers, so exciting times. How are you doing that then, direct to the consumers? So we launched a vending machine 12 months ago, so we're selling it in our local town through a vending machine, and then we've also started making some cheese, so we sell that at markets. So we're doing quite a lot of markets at the moment, probably in about sort of a 10 mile radius. And it's a fantastic way of talking to people and getting them to understand where their food comes from. 
Brilliant. Can you do enough of that to be viable? No. So at the moment, we sell milk via our, our milk suppliers. They come and store with the milk tanker. So we're doing probably about 50% through our vending machine and 50% to our milk supplier. I know costs have obviously gone up generally in the sector. Is that the same with you? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we've been very lucky because we've been 100% grass-fed. We've been very sort of self-sustainable for ourselves here on the farm. And the only thing that's really affected us greatly is, is the weather and making sure we do have enough grass. So cost-wise, we've, we've really lowered our costs so that we can just sort of hunker down as such and, and work the system that we want to work here. But yeah, it has been difficult. It's been difficult to predict. Electricity, everything's gone up, so it's just trying to, to make everything work. And it's trying to get people to understand when we're out talking to people about the, the cost of farming and, and how much it does cost to produce food and the importance of knowing where your food comes from and, and how it is produced. Sometimes you, you sort of think about organic farming. So this isn't meant to be any kind of criticism, but you just kind of wonder if it's a labour of love and something you do because you believe in that way of doing things, can it be big enough and scalable to be big and viable from a business point of view? I think it can. It's very difficult to answer that question in a nutshell. We do what we believe in because we feel we can make positive change happen through the way we're farming and we're using the farm as a platform to be able to demonstrate that. We've got 80 cows and we run a calf at foot, 100% grass-fed system and it's the same Holstein cows that we had three years ago. So it's not like we've suddenly sold the herd and brought in a different herd of cows that are grass-fed. We've, we went from twice a day milking 8,000 litres. We then changed sort of overnight to do once a day milking and we're now about 4,000 litres per cow Um, but it's just understanding placing that value on the food so that the consumers are buying the milk at the right price. I mean certainly last time I looked uh, online and saw anything the cows look very happy. The cows yeah they love life they're looking really really well condition scores excellent um, and and they're milking well as well and for humans as well it's a really nice system to run Um, so for our well-being it's been really important to make sure that we have a system that works for both the cows and the humans. The once-a-day milking seems to have hit your yield, but is it better for the cows? Well, we feel it's better for our system. Obviously, you can't speak for every cow. We've got a Holstein Friesian-type cow, and it works very well for us. You know, as I said, got really good condition scores. They're milking well, and it's it's a system that seems to be fitting into what we're trying to create here on the farm. Excellent. And milk prices this year? Oh, up and down. But no, actually, our milk, our milk buyer has been excellent. They have managed to maintain a fairly stable price. But again, farming, it's very unpredictable with the weather and with the prices. You just never know. It goes up and down and it's trying to create a sustainable system that's robust enough to be able to cope with those changes. And it's maybe one reason why we've done a bit of diversification and we're making cheese, selling direct, just to be able to, to not rely just on one, one area 100% of the time. We can sort of uh, work with what we've got depending on what's happening during the year. I think that makes an awful lot of sense for all farms, really, that that, uh, if you could just totally rely on the production from the cows, wonderful. But a large number of farms these days have to look at alternative sources of income, don't they? Absolutely. And I think that's just another way of being able to cope with sometimes very unpredictable circumstances that we're facing. Um, And I think it is becoming more unpredictable. We never quite know what's going to happen. And as we've seen with the weather, it can also create its own challenges. This year has been extremely wet, so we've had to manage the conditions that we've had and not being able to get the cows out to grass early was something that obviously impacted us and making sure that we have enough silage for the winter, etc. So it was all juggling that. But there seems to be much more extremes weather-wise. There's longer windows of just extreme rain or extreme heat. 
so it's trying to work with that. Um, and as a farm, as an organic farm, I feel that the system that we're creating and the way we're managing our cows and the grazing helps to create a more robust system for dealing with different climate conditions that we're facing. Last time I met you, you were having a lot of involvement with Woof. Yes, yeah, still do. <laughs> we still have a lot of students from all over the world, so that's working on um, organic farms, a volunteering program that we have. So we usually have them stay for about two weeks to up to a month and get involved in all sorts of different jobs here on the farm. So if somebody fancies volunteering again, just head to the Wickton Farm website. Absolutely, yeah. It's got all our details, contact details, or if you want to know more about what we do, just head to our website or our social media. We run under the Wild Cow Dairy is our cheese and uh, milk production, sort of what we sell direct to the consumer. It's under the Wild Cow Dairy. So have a look at that and uh, see what we've been up to. Long may your success continue. And uh, we'll talk again, hopefully not in a couple of years, maybe next year, and uh, get another update from Wickton Farm. Claire, thank you. Brilliant, Steve. Thank you very much. Links FM Farming Market Reports. Starting with the final reports, I'm sad to say, from Louth Livestock Market auctioneer Oliver Chapman. Morning, Oliver. Morning, Steve. Another weekly roundup from here at Louth. Starting with the prime cattle, which see Heifer's top at 289 pence per kilo and 1529 pounds for JNS Brooks of Strubby, with the steers topping at 279 pence per kilo and 1587 pounds for DL Lyle Co. of Ownby. Onto the store cattle and 34 pence, see heifers all in average £948 and top at £1,135 for P. Doxy of Techney, with uh, store bulls topping from the same home at £870. That wraps the cattle up onto the sheep. 370 lambs penned all in average £266.45 pence per kilo and SQQ at £264.08 pence per kilo. These top for GW Allison of Thorsway at 316 pence per kilo or A&N Spillman and Son of Freesorp at £146 per head. Onto the cool ewes and a huge yarding of 196 all in average £99.65 and, and top for regular Shaw Brothers of Binbrook at £180 per head. Finally, store lambs and just a single pen pulled from the fat not quite carrying enough weight. Top for R. Jones of Skegness at £96 per head. Huge thank you to everyone that's been in support this week, both buyers and vendors and the staff that keep us running weekly. Um, just one final thing from me, um, it's goodbye as what is in my last market report on my last week at Louth before I move on to pastures new. A sincere thank you to everyone that's supported the market in the last four years while I've been here. The market report will be back next week as normal and everything will continue the same on all of the same contact numbers. So for all marketing of livestock or market entries, Please do not hesitate to contact one of the team. This is Oliver Chapman um, for Masons and Louth Market, and thank you. Thanks again for your regular reports and everything you've done, Oliver, for the last couple of years, and very best wishes from all of us at the Farming Programme for your new life up north. To the grain markets now with Open Fields Kit Dickinson. Morning, Kit. Well, good morning, Steve. Russia continued their attacks on Odessa and the Danube, with the markets continued to discount amidst various reports of increased Ukrainian exports via Romania, subsidised logistical support for the Ukrainian goods by the EU, a Ukrainian-funded insurance scheme for ship owners, and the new Ukrainian-led safe corridor along the Black Sea coastline. There was also a meeting attended by Russia, Turkey and Qatar to discuss the new grain deal to replace the Black Sea Grain Initiative. Under the new deal, Russia would be supplying its grain primarily to African countries, Qatar would sponsor their supplies, and Turkey would oversee organising the deal. The meeting ended with nothing being concluded. Whether there is any potential for solutions in any tangible benefit remains to be yet to be proven. In the meantime, Poland and Hungary have repeated their calls for banning the Ukrainian imports, which expires on the 15th of September. Poland in particular have indicated they will ignore the edict of the EU Commission regarding lifting the ban. 
Heavy rain in Europe has resulted in increased feed wheat supplies in Germany, Poland and the Baltic states, which will impact milling prices and the availability. The UK is not export competitive currently, with harvest a protracted affair resulting in minimal harvest pressure. The general picture is one of variable quality and yield, with production in the region of 14 to 14.5 million metric tonnes. So looking at barley, European and UK prices have come under pressure, eroding the historically high premiums. Spring malting barley harvest has progressed well over the last week, with most of the southern and eastern areas now complete. The wet weather has continued to slow progress in the Midlands and Yorkshire, and we would estimate there is still about 30% still to be cut. Scotland is about 70% still to cut. The quality and yields are variable with higher nitrogens and some skin and grain issues, and if the rain continues, germination will now become a problem. Scandinavia is being delayed by wet weather and still has 35% to harvest. Quality is a concern and yields are being reduced again. The outcome of the Scottish and Scandinavian harvest will set the direction for the malting barley markets this year. Oilseed rape. Matif rapeseed is up from the lows of 450 euros early last week and now trading around 470. This week's market focus has been on the Pro Farmer crop tour in the US Midwest, examining soybean fields after a prolonged period of drought. Results so far have been mixed. Ohio pod counts were higher than the three-year average and Indiana's were the strongest in five years. Although Dakota and Nebraska results were above last year, they came short of their three-year average. It has been commented that despite pod counts appearing favourable, rain is needed to complete pod fill and ultimately determine the US yield. The US weather currently doesn't look favourable for pod filling, with very little rain and persistent heat forecast through the first week of September. So moving forward and looking at prices this week, feed wheat for September 174 to 184, November 176 to 186, February 181 to 191 and May 186 to 196. Milling wheat premiums are currently 60 to 70 pounds depending on quality. Feed barley for September 149 to 159, November 151 to 161, February 154 to 164 and May 157 to 167. Oilseed rate for September 350 to 361, November 357 to 367, February 360 to 370 and May 363 to 373. Thanks, Kit. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Another mixed week. Sunshine, showers and a light breeze for the most part. A light northwesterly today, a little light rain later and highs of 20. Mostly dry and similar temperatures for Monday. Some rain's expected on Tuesday as the pressure drops and the breeze backs round to the southwest. More rain for Wednesday and Thursday, a couple of degrees cooler and a light breeze from the south. And the week then finishes mostly dry but dropping a degree or two cooler. Well, that's it for this week. More of the week in agriculture from 7 next Sunday on the radio, the Lynx FM app, podcast or smart speaker. I'm Steve Orchard. Until then, have a great week. The Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders with Embrook Industrial Estate Grantham. BSI ISO 9001 accredited.